And the parable that we are looking at today is that of the unmerciful servant. And so I tell you the story about New Hampshire because I want to open with a story about New Hampshire, my home state. This does not happen often. This story has no reflection upon my home state. But it was in 2009 in New Hampshire, a gentleman by the name of Josh Mazinski stopped at a gas station and he bought one pack of cigarettes at this gas station. The transaction went on his Bank American card. A few hours later, he went online, as many of us do, and he was checking his account. And in doing so, he found out that this pack of cigarettes set him back 17 figures. In other words, to put it in perspective, the pack of cigarettes was 2,000 times the national debt of the United States. So... I'm not preaching against cigarettes. I'm just telling you what happened to Josh. Now, let me, let me put this in exact verbiage. You're looking at the printout of his credit card. 23 quadrillion, 148 trillion, 855 billion, 308 million, 184,500 dollars. Now... Gary Seavers, the president of Global University, would say, amen, I would like to have a donation like that. Well, to put this all in perspective, if you took all of the money of all of the countries that are part of the United Nations, you still wouldn't have enough money to purchase this pack of cigarettes. Now, if this was on your account, it would be quite alarming, I'm sure. Well, as it was for Josh, Here he is, this resident of Manchester, New Hampshire. He jumps in his car, goes back to the filling station where he purchased the cigarettes, and there he finds no satisfaction. The teller that was there at the filling station said, hey, there's really nothing that I can do about this. I'm sure the station was already preparing for retirement, but uh, she said there's nothing we can do. Well, he did go home. He called his bank. He was in a two-hour conversation with his bank. The bank worked it out where they cleared his account. They got the direct amount, and above all things, they also removed the $15 overdraft charge that he had on his credit card. What an act of grace. Well, the point is that I want to make is that this man had actually owed that much money, and there was no way that he or anyone else on the face of of this earth could ever pay it back. And that leads to the parable that I want to share with you today from the book of Matthew, the 18th chapter, verses 21 through 35, and it is the parable that is titled The Unmerciful Servant. Let's read what the Lord says in his word. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or my sister who sins against me up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And therefore, Jesus goes on and he says, the kingdom of heaven is like the king who wanted to settle accounts 
with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that they had would be sold to repay the debt. At this time, the servant fell to his knees before the man, and he said, please be patient with me. He begged, and I'll pay you back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. But he refused and said, he went off and had the man thrown in prison until he could pay his debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant and he said, you wicked servant, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how our Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and your sister from your heart. Prior to Jesus telling this story, we see right off that Peter comes to Jesus and Jesus is instructing the people here how to deal with a person who is erred against them. In other words, somebody that has done you wrong. All of us have experienced that, and some of you may sit here today with grudges. You may sit here with burdens. Those of you that are listening may be in a place where you have the terrible burden of a person that you may not get along with because they've done something against you. Maybe things didn't work out right in your life and with your family, your relationship, your marriage, or with somebody who owes you some money. So at this time, Jesus gives instructions, and Peter came to Jesus and asked him, how many times should I forgive a brother that has sinned against me? And before Jesus can answer the question, Peter jumps in and says, seven times. He thinks, wow, I'm going to earn some points here with the master. Seven times, that seems to be quite lenient. That seems to be quite graceful. And Jesus looks at him, and he replies, as Peter was asking, when should I no longer be required to forgive a person of their trespasses against him? And Jesus answers by saying this, and I quote it from the King James Version. I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. And then he goes on to tell the parable. Now some translations say you forgive 70 times. There are others that say you forgive 77 times. And then Jesus, if you do the math, he's telling him seven times 70 in the King James translation. 
Regardless of what translation you use, I think it is evident to us as readers of God's word that Jesus concludes that there is no set limit when it comes to forgiveness. In other words, he gives a number that is unattainable. Did Jesus tell us that we need only to forgive a person 490 times, 70 times, or we forgive someone 77 times? I don't believe that that's what he was saying. I don't believe that Jesus was telling us to take a Yahtzee game scorecard and keep track of the numbers of times that a person or an individual or an organization or a group does us wrong. Just waiting for the magic number of trespasses like 491, hey man, you're can now. 491, you've gone over the limit. 71, you've gone over the limit. 78, you've gone over the limit. So we can tell that uh, we've exhausted the limit of forgiveness that perhaps was sh uh, set by Jesus himself and we can conclude that this person is no longer going to be forgiven. I don't believe that that's what Jesus is saying here at all. Because no number should show the greatness of forgiveness in a Christian's heart. In your heart, if you're a believer of Jesus Christ. In my heart, as a follower of Christ. There is no number that is set for me to go by. But I must be a forgiven person. You see, if we have to forgive people too many times, usually what happens is we stop associating with the individual or we walk away from him or her. Can you imagine dealing with a person that you have to forgive close to 500 times? Maybe you've done that. And if so, I give you great credit this morning. Even if you've forgiven someone 71 times. Now, Spouses are excluded, of course, here, all right? Nothing but love and, and forgiveness should be in the heart of a Christian, you and I. It seems that many times we're not interested in pure forgiveness. Now, I'm preaching to myself here, but in, in hopefully this will hit some of your hearts, some of you listeners, because for many people, and at various times, different times, and maybe your whole attitude is set this way. For some, forgiveness comes with strings attached. There are certain conditions that must be met in order to forgive a person. Somebody did you wrong, and you'll forgive them, but this person must pay for what they have done. We want to make sure that the scales are even and the sheets are balanced. We have to make sure that that person experiences the same amount of pain that we've experienced. And so, therefore, we want them to experience that pain, that discomfort. We want that individual to experience the same level of humiliation and experience it to the max. And then only then, these people perhaps deserve our forgiveness. For many, forgiveness also includes revenge. And that is so unfortunate. I do not see any of that in this parable. We're taught by Jesus himself to pray the Lord's Prayer. We all hopefully know the Lord's Prayer. 
It's a prayer that many of us prayed when we were in school as kids. And some today, unfortunately, do not have the advantage of knowing the Lord's Prayer. But in the Lord's Prayer, there's a line that forget, says, Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That's our plea to God. God, I want you to forgive me of my trespasses as I forgive those who trespass against me. Think of the verbiage, Christian. Think of the verbiage, each individual that sits and listens to my voice. We're saying, God, I want you to forgive me in the same manner as I've forgiven others. God, I have set the standard now for you to forgive me. We are praying that God will judge us by our own actions. He will judge us by our own standards that he told us that he would do so. And we have committed that to him. Forgive me as I forgive others. Is this how you want your final judgment to go? Do you want to stand before God and hear God say to you, I forgive you, but you know what, Charlie? The scales are not balanced yet. I have to make you pay for what you have done against me. I have to make you pay the price where your shortcomings have failed to meet up to my standards. So I try to talk back to God, and God says, no, you prayed so many times that you would be forgiven as you forgive others. This is how we forgive. We should, um, should we expect more from God? No, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And we all know how God would balance those scales. The scripture says, he, the master, threw the man in prison, gave him over to the jailer to be tortured for life. That is not where I want my final destination to be, and I trust that you do not either. The parable of the unmerciful servant. When we look at this parable, we find that there are two debts that have to be paid, and they're contrasted in this parable. The first is that of a huge debt in its redemption. This is a parable, and as we have said before in our series, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So the first servant, he represents us, you. He represents me, those who sit in this room. He represents you as a viewer this morning. We owe the king, God, 10,000 talents the King James Version says, what we just read this morning, 10,000 bags of gold. Now, 10,000 talents is equal to 10,000 years of working for this servant. He goes before his master, and he has a great debt. In today's term, 10,000 talents could be as much as $5 billion. You could never pay it off. And in fact, this was the point of Jesus' parable. You don't have enough money to pay it off, to pay this debt. It's an impossible debt. In, it's an impossible debt that we cannot repay, and it represents the mountain of sin 
that each one of us have in our lives. Jesus paid a terrible price for our sins. He paid a terrible price for your sin. He died on the cross, which was the punishment of the world, and it was the worst punishment you could receive at that time. And Jesus died so our debt of sin could be forgiven. Romans 2.23 says, or 6.23 says, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The first thing that is established in this parable is that Jesus told us and he tells us the fact of our debtor's status before God. In the story, a man owes the king 10,000 talents. Now, a talent was the largest Roman unit of currency. It was the most money that was in the currency at one talent. In America, our largest units of currency, as I recall in the past, has been a $10,000 bill. $10,000 bills were printed up until 1946, and then they were discontinued. And they, from what I understand, there's 300 of them that are out there in circulation somewhere today. There are six famous discontinued bills in our currency. One of them is the $2 bill. There's a $500 bill. There's a $1,000 bill. $1,000 bills are no longer made either. If you go on the internet, you may be able to find one for $2,500. There were $5,000 bills. There were $10,000 bills. And believe it or not, there was a $100,000 a note in our currency, and it was not for public use, but it was a gold certificate, and it had a picture of Woodrow Wilson on it. So like the 10,000 bill is the largest unit of currency, the talent was the largest Roman unit of currency. But to make things even more interesting, 10,000 was the largest Greek number. And Jesus says the debt was 10,000 Roman uh, talents. And so Jesus combines the largest Greek number with the largest Roman unit of currency. And that's how much money he says this guy owns the king. The point is, is that Jesus is telling us that this servant owed the king an absolute impossible amount of money, a ridiculous amount of money, more money than he could ever earn in a hundred lifetimes, more money that was ever circulated in all of Palestine at the time. And Jesus went out of his way to put this guy in debt so huge that he would never be able to repay it. That's the first thing that we learn about the kingdom in this story. You and I are in so much debt to God that we could never repay that debt. No matter how hard we worked, how hard we tried. In the parable, the king says to this man, hey, I'll tell you what, why don't you just, um, I'm going to sell you, I'm going to sell your wife, I'm going to sell your kids, I'm going to sell everything that you own, and I'm going to recoup some of this debt. And the man begs the king. He says, no, please don't do that. And and he begs him there in the 29th verse. His fellow servant fell to his knees, begged him, be patient with me. I'll pay you back. 
And God could have said, hey, sure, I'll tell you what. You're going to work real hard. You're going to pick up some extra jobs. You're going to start saving your extra pennies. You're going to milk a few more cows, and you're going to come up with a pile of $10,000 bills. Sure. That's what you owe the king. And isn't that how you and I often are with God in the face of massive debt? That we owe our overwhelming position as debtors to God. We still think sometimes, you know what? I can earn this. I can earn this. I can do this. I, I can pay this back, God. I'll tell you what. I, I, I'll, I'll walk to church barefooted every Sunday on broken glass. Um, you know, I, I promise that I'll never enjoy life again. God, uh, I'll do all these things. Uh, I'll do three mission trips a year with the church. And, and I'll continue on. And, and God, for this debt, I owe you. But we, just like the man in this story, we're fooling ourselves. This amazing grace that God has given us and shown each one of us. There's not enough money in Palestine to pay this man's debt. And we don't have enough goodness anywhere in us to relieve us of the debt that we owe to our Lord and Savior. If we are to understand what Jesus is telling us here about the kingdom, it starts with the fact that you and I owe this massive debt to the king, one we can never pay. And it's just like the king ordered this man's wife and children and all of his possessions to be sold to cover some of the losses. So the most valuable, what I see here is that the most valuable and precious things that we have in our life are still not enough to pay the price. The second important thing here that the king does is that he cancels the debt. And simply because the man is facing losing everything. And in the process, he begs the king not to sell his family. The king has two choices here. He can sell the family or he can pay the debt, forgive it. He knows this guy's never going to be able to repay the debt, so he takes pity on the man. He cancels the debt completely. The king is the only one that can do this. The king is the only one that has the power to do this. The king's servants cannot do it. Have you ever missed a payment on your credit card? I pay my credit card off every month. And I can remember one time being on a mission trip, and I missed the 14th. And on the 15th, I remembered I have a credit card payment. Wow, I've been a good customer for years. I've never missed. And I looked and they said, oh, you know, Mr. Arsenal, this is fine. You can pay next month, but there's going to be a 28% uh, interest charge on this and then plus uh, administration cost and so on. So I called the credit card company. I said... Uh, this is Charlie Arsenault. I'm one of your prize customers. No, it's not like that. I humble myself and say, you know what? I realized today that yesterday my account was due. Oh, yes, Mr. Arsenault, you've been with us three years. You do have a good record. Um, I'll tell you what, I don't have the authority to do this, but could you hang on for a minute? You see, she's not the king. But she acts like it and makes you think she's going to talk to somebody else. Comes back and says, Mr. Arsenault, I've cleared up your account. 
Do you want to pay it today? Yes, I do. There will be no extra charges you uh, cleared up. It's grace. And I'm so thankful. And we've all run into that time where there's been this enormous unpayable debt that we owe God. And God is willing to cancel it just as one of these credit card companies that we fall into the grace period. The grace period. Thank you for being responsible. Psalms 103 says, And as far as the sun rises from the sunset, he has separated us from our sins. What a price that has been paid. The only way out of debt that we owe to God is by his amazing grace. His grace. And God is willing to extend that grace to us to give us the, the, the things that we don't deserve. And why does he do this? The parable says the king took pity on the man. And God looks at us and he feels sorry for us. God knows that we're hooked and we can never get off that hook unless, unless we accept Jesus Christ and the grace that he shows us and gives us. He feels pity, compassion upon each one of us. This parable explains that the king had pity on the man and forgave him of the entire debt. And in the same way, when you and I became a Christian, and if you have not accepted Jesus Christ in your life, you have that opportunity today. Your debt will be forgiven. Sins will be forgiven. They will be moved as far as the east is from the west. They'll be buried in the depths of the sea. They don't exist anymore. Praise God. Huge debt story we see in the first part of this parable. Now it's not over yet. Because the huge debt and its redemption, now we come to a small debt that Jesus speaks about. A debt that was not forgiven. A smaller debt where a man encounters the same servant and the second part of Jesus' parable. The man, you, me, each one of us, who was forgiven his massive debt, he starts home rejoicing. He's encountered... Uh, a person that's forgiven him of a huge debt. And he's thankful, I guess. But he comes up against a man that owes him $10. It's not a debt like the first. You see, the first debt was between God and man. But this is between hum two human beings. And it's a wrong that's been done by one person against another. Could it be your husband? Could it be your ex-son-in-law? Could it be your daughter? Could it be a friend, somebody who used to be a friend, a colleague? But the encounter takes place. And next, we see that this forgiven man immediately goes to this person, shakes this guy who owes him a hundred denarii. That's equal to about like 10 bucks today in our money. And because of the compassion of the king, this servant man who has just been forgiven a trillions of dollars of debt, yet he refuses to forgive the debt that's owed to him of $10, saying, throw this man in jail. Do away with him. I mean, what kind of callous person is that? What kind of person is it that would do something like that? So we find here from this parable, we see 
that there is an expectation of return when we look at this parable and study it. No one could possibly owe us a debt, even close to what we owe God. And yet God has forgiven us of this debt completely, and he expects us to do the same with others. Those of you that have been hurt, those of you that are crying out today, please listen, because the only way to receive grace, I believe, is with our head down. When that credit card person told me it's forgiven, wow, for a minute, my head was down. For a minute, I thought, this is really nice of this company. When you've received grace and you know it, you're humbled. You are humbled beyond belief, humbled because you know you have just been given what you do not deserve. Did the king extend grace to this man? Yes. Did this servant really receive grace from the king? My answer to that is no. In his mind, what he received was a free pass. And he got to leave. And he may have even left the king's court that day thinking, sucker, man, I pulled it over on you. And just because somebody is extending you and I grace, it doesn't mean that we're necessarily receiving it. Understand that. And even if you are enjoying the fruits of it, it doesn't mean that you've received it. There are whole denominations that treat God's grace this way. God's forgiven me. I got my get out of hell free card. Yeah, and no more worries. And the forgiveness and grace that God has extended rather than giving the same forgiveness and grace to others, leads that person to a point of superiority. Now, these thoughts may hurt this morning, but have we set ourselves up to feel that we're superior? Yeah, I will, I'm not going to forgive them. They never call me. You know, they never follow up on me. I'm not going to forgive them. A willingness to persecute those who have a debt a judgmental attitude that sets oneself up as the standard for who deserves God's favor, but yet doesn't show that favor to others. Some come to God broken. There are people that come to God bleeding. And God cleans that individual up. And then they spend the rest of their lives looking down their noses at others and saying, wow, can you believe these nasty, sinful people? It's just so offensive. But the king has forgiven them. I'm afraid this world is filled with self-called Christians who have been forgiven, but never have actually received grace. The evidence that you have received grace is that you and I are going to be willing to extend grace to others. And I know that that will help us more spiritually, but it'll help us in physical ways, emotional ways. And there's no question that the king forgave the debt of this man. And there's no question that the man allowed the king to forgive his debt. But what he would not do is put his head down and humbly receive it. He would not receive grace. He would not marvel at the undeserving 
fact that had just took place in his life and allow his heart to feel for someone else the same compassion the king felt for him. This is a story about amazing grace. But it's also about a man that was incapable of receiving it, as I see it in the text today. May you and I open up our hearts and receive what Jesus Christ has for us. If God is dealing with you at this moment, let us exercise forgiveness, those who have hurt us. The penalties that we've had to pay, it's hard sometimes. On March 22nd of 1824, and I'll close with this story, an incident took place in Madison County, Indiana. It was known as the Fall Creek Massacre. Six men murdered nine American Indians and wounded another Indian. The six men were apprehended and they were tried and some were executed. It was on June 3rd of 1825 that an 18-year-old John Bridge Jr. stood with a crowd as he watched with this loud crowd, a large crowd, and he witnessed the gruesome um, hangings of his father and his uncle. The crowd waited expectantly for the possibility of a pardon from the governor for this 18-year-old. With no signs of a pardon, a sermon was preached as the crowd waited. If I was in that place, I'd want a real long sermon. Finally, John Bridge Jr., 18 years old, was led to the gallows. And a rope was lowered over his head. Can you imagine the terror of standing on that trap door? Feeling that rope around your neck and knowing death was just seconds away. As they prepared to pull the rope that controlled the trap door, a cheer from the back of the crowd rang out. A stranger came forward, and the stranger was yelling as possibly as loud as he could. There are but two powers known to the law that can save you from hanging by the neck until you are dead. One is the great God of the universe, and the other is J. Brown Ray, governor of the state of Indiana. I am the governor, and this man is pardoned. He handed over the pardon papers in an instant. What looked like a hopeless situation became a door of hope for John Bridge Jr. He went back home, he settled down, and he opened a dry good business, and he died peacefully 51 years later. If we could but see it, every one of us, we stand in the same desperate situation that this young man stood until we get a pardon from the Lord Jesus Christ, until our sins are forgiven. God is offering free pardons today. He's here this morning. He's in your living room. He's in your shop. He's in your car. He's in your state. He's in your country. He's in this room. 
in the pardon is free to us. We were purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, on the cross. The gigantic price has been paid. How many of you sitting here today and that listen to my voice and are watching me, you've been hurt by someone, and you'd like to receive healing to your heart and to your mind? God is here to do that. How many of you have someone you need to forgive? Someone that you wouldn't want to talk to, someone that you wouldn't want to be around. Don't let Satan have a foothold in your life. Unblock that relationship you have with God by surrendering that unforgiveness and allowing God to do a work. Remember what the scripture says in Matthew 18, 34. The price that was paid in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each one of you unless you forgive your brothers and your sisters from your heart. I thank God that the door that we stand on is a trap door, but he is here today and he shouts, I pardon you. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you, God that we can come to you at this moment, and Lord, we realize that all have sinned, that we've all said things, we've had thoughts that are wrong, and that this is called sin, and it separates us from God. Your word says that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Father, we thank you that you are perfect, that you are holy, and our sin separates us from you forever. But the Bible says the wages of sin is death. But God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. We thank you for this parable today from your son, Jesus Christ, who lived a sinless life and then died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And that you have demonstrated your love for us while we are yet sinners. You have paid the price. That Jesus rose from the dead and he lives in heaven with you today. And he offers us this gift of eternal life. And, and he offers us your amazing grace. That we can live forever in heaven if we accept him as our Lord and Savior. And that you reach down in, with your love for each one of us. God, forgive us of our sins today, we pray. Put newness in our lives. We bow our head before you. We accept the grace that you extend to us. Help us to forgive those that have wronged us. Lord, I know that in the sound of my voice, there's terrible things that have happened to so many people. And Father, I also know that so many people have handled them in a mature spiritual way, and they don't let them control their life, that justice has been paid. And God, we pray that we would put things into your hands and forgive us. For we want to be forgiven the way that we treat others, Lord. Thank you that you have paid the price. Lord Jesus Christ, I believe that you're the Son of God. I thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. And please forgive my sin and give me the gift of eternal life. I ask you into my life and into my heart to be my Lord and Savior. I want to serve you always. Thank you, God, for your amazing grace.